0: Well, here it is, the month of March. We're still in the book of James. We probably will be for a little while. You haven't noticed, we haven't gone further than really verse 13. But we're in verse 16 today. And I'm taking my time. Doing it on purpose. I enjoy the luxury of being able to do this at a pace like this. When I was in South Dakota a month ago, I had to cover all of Philippians and all of Colossians. In five days, and we did it. But that was high pace. That was a lot of a lot of speaking. There was 19 hours of it, but we got through it. Now we could do that today because there might still be enough hours in the day, or we can just keep the pace going as we've got it, which most people think is okay. Um, March 2011. That's when I started here as your pastor, and I'm very thankful. The Lord brought me this way. I am enjoying it thoroughly, just so you know. And so that's another reason why I don't mind going at a slow pace. You've been with me for eight years of slow pace. So maybe you're getting used to it by now. I like to do it this way. Today we're going to verse 16 of James chapter number 5. It's the last part of the verse. I told you we'd go a verse like 13, verse 16. Then 13, verse 16. That's what we did. Then verse 14 and verse 16. And then verse 15 and verse 16. And we're just going to keep coming back to verse 16. Because that is the section that everything seems to wrap around. The statement of what prayer is, is that phrase. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you're reading the King James, that's what you just saw. The effective prayer of a righteous man, accomplishes much. And that's our study at the moment here, uh, because we want to know what is that. And if there's something we're supposed to be doing, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? And so we're learning from verse number six. So far we've covered verse 16. We've covered the word prayer. That was our first study. On verse 16. was just on the word prayer. Today we're going to add another word to it. And some of you have the word fervent. Some of you have the word effective. And we're going to discuss that word today too. Alright. It's going to be a fun study. Let's ask the Lord's uh, guidance in our study as well. Heavenly Father, we are always dependent on you. And I'm glad we are. Your greatness. Your mercy, your love, your uh, grace, all these things we speak of often, and we express our gratitude for them. But when we stop and look again, that in all you are, you have given to us your word that describes who you are, and who we are in you, and our special relationship, and how we're to live it, it's an amazing thing that you've written it down, so we can see it. We can see it again and again and again and study from that. And I pray, Lord, that today this is not just an exercise of a worship service and part of the the program for the day, but may this be a very um, significant, significant study for us today. One that really, truly wrestles down our hearts and, and helps us to see what you have given to us. In this thing called prayer. And we thank you, Lord, for it. Guide us through our study today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to address with this word today, and it's overused, I'm afraid, in our culture and maybe even in our churches today. The word passionate. The word passionate. Fervent. And such things like that. There is a scene that we are given in the first chapter of Samuel. Now I want you to go back with me to First Samuel. You know, that's Old Testament. you got uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Those are the first seven or eight books that, uh, as you're coming through there, you say, oh yeah, those are easy to find. Samuel follows that. There's a little book called Ruth after Judges. But Samuel chapter number 1. If you're in Second Samuel, you need 1 Samuel. And go all the way to the very beginning of that book, which is on page 437. <laughs> Maybe if you have the same one I do. First Samuel. There is a story that is recorded here. And it really is somewhat of a sad story to begin with. There's a man named Elkanah. Elkanah is a, from all appearances, a faithful worshiper of God. He would go to the tabernacle every year, take his family with him in order to offer the sacrifices and to worship the Lord. And it seems to have been something Elkanah not only did, but enjoyed doing. He wanted his family to enjoy it as well. Uh, He had two wives. Now, that's a whole different sermon, all right? But he had two wives, and one of them was named Hannah. Hannah, we're going to see, had a incredible need. You see, he had another wife named Panina, and Peninnah had children, and Hannah did not. And every year they went to this... Uh, this event where sacrifices were made and a dinner was served and a, a time of joy as far as Elcana was concerned, Peninnah turned it into a disaster for Hannah, year after year after year. Had to have been absolutely frustrating because she would mock her because she had no children. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? And Hannah would always break down in tears. And in a sense, the picnic's been ruined. Her husband tried to express to her his great love for her. He would double her portion when it came to serving the food and all these other things. And she says, well, that's not what... He says, shouldn't that encourage your heart? And, And you could hear their conversation, and there's some of it recorded here. It's a, yes, but I want a son. I want a son. Well, Hannah took matters into her own hand in one way. She decided she was going to pray. And it says in verse number 9, she rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting uh, on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, Hannah, greatly distressed. Don't... Don't miss the adjectives and the adverbs in here because it's powerful to stop and think. Greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Can you picture it? It goes on to say she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant. There's a good word, affliction. Of your maidservant. And remember me. And not forget your maidservant. But you give your maidservant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord. All the days of his life. And a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying. Verse 12 says. Praying before the Lord. That Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli says to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. And Hannah replied, watch these words. No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor straw drink, but... I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Here's a word that should have got Eli's attention. Being a priest, he knew what that word meant. There were sacrifices that usually involved some sort of a drink offering, they would call it, where the wine was brought forward, and sometimes it was in the a sacrifice that also included blood. That they would bring the blood forward. And they'd carry it in a basin. And they'd walk up to the altar. And they'd pour it out before the Lord. And they weren't done until the bowl was empty. She used that word. She says, I have come to the Lord. And I have poured out my soul. Picture that. Yes, she had a lot of things that concerned her but she poured out her soul. Can you see the passion of the words? When you pray, how often do you reach the point where the soul is poured out completely in your prayers to the Lord? I just raise that as a question today because our word that we study is fervent. Fervent. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I told you several weeks ago when we came into this verse, that the translators have tried for centuries to figure out what is the best way to word this phrase. And there have been a lot of different phrases suggested, and some translation have the word fervent, and some don't. And there's other words sometimes you placing that. And some of them tacked it on the end of the sentence. They would say, the effective prayer of a righteous man will avail much if it's fervent. <laughs> and so they've been moving that word all around the place, but they can't get around it. It's there in the text. It's like that piece of furniture in the house. You, you're going to keep moving it, but you know it's staying. Alright? And that's what this word is. It's an adjective. Or an adverb in this sense. It's describing the prayer, so I guess it's more of the adjective. But in this word, it is describing. And that's what we want to see today, is how does it describe, and what does it mean when it's attached to a word like prayer? We have been talking about living faith, right? And that's in contrast... ...to some doctrinal statement or some belief that we've tucked away deep in our heart... ...or some catechism we might have memorized when we were kids. It's more than just, this is what I think and this is what I know. It is what I do. It's living faith. And it should resemble what you believe, right? That's the best kind of faith. is the faith that not only knows the truth, but lives the truth. Who not only are hearers of the word but doers of the word. That's important. And so we've been, stu- ta- we, we've been talking about living faith. And a living faith that trusts Him. It's manifested in the midst of difficulties especially. I think that's where it shows up the most. Is that we walk by faith even when things seem heavy against us. Things distress us, things oppress us, things come upon us in this context there's an element of persecution but for the believer there's a lot of things in life that challenge faith right? medical things financial things family things We've, we know the list and yet when are we to stop walking by faith? we're not regardless we're supposed to walk by faith right? we're supposed to exhibit faith Trust the Lord in the midst of tough times. And sometimes it just comes down to four things. Be patient. You know it. Be patient. Strengthen your heart. And don't complain. That's what James told us already. And you guys have learned that pretty well because you've heard it enough. Well, that's living faith. That's what we call reliance. Trust Him with it. Take it to Him. And that's why prayer fits so beautifully in our study right here. Because instead of us doing something about it, take it to the one who can. Take it to the one who can. I read a a story many years ago about a a lady who was raising up a, a son on her own. While he was young, she could control him, discipline him, you know, guide him in the way that he needs to go and all that. But as he got older, he got bigger than her. His attitude got pretty pretty difficult as well to deal with. And she looked at him one day. She says, well, you know what? You're bigger than me. Stronger than me. You've got quite an attitude that I can't do a thing about. And I acknowledge that. I can't do a thing about what you're doing right now. But I know who can. And I'm going to talk to him. And she prayed for that boy. Sometimes, you know... We try it for so long our way. And for whatever reason, we finally say, okay, I can't do it anymore. It's now time for God to take over. Wouldn't it be great if he was in charge at the first? Too often, we do it. We figure it out. We put it together, and then we say, God, here's our mess. Now please fix it. And that's where we spend most of our time, in the middle of the mess, But we're told to pray To pray because we're dependent. Because we are needy. We pray because we are needy. And we go to the one who can meet our need. We go to our Lord. And we ask Him to meet our need because He is capable. He is capable. And the final thing we must do when we do that is trust Him with the results. Trust Him with the results. It may not come out the way you thought. But I will tell you this. It will come out better than what you anticipated. Because he always does exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. That's his style. And you may not understand it on this side of life either. But when you get to glory, you're going to say, Boy, there's another cause to praise him. Look what he did. That's called trust. Living faith. That's our study. So, how's that match the idea of a fervent prayer? Remember the word prayer we dealt with a few weeks ago, and it had really in its concept a begging nature. We were pleading, we were begging, there was a force to it that's really quite powerful. It's urgent. You're expressing your need in, in the, the most intense way you can, you're begging. It's urgent. I even screamed when I was trying to describe the concept. Some people won't ever get over that. But we're to beg, we're to beg, we're to beg. That's the nature of this prayer. So, how do I do that? Well, it's modified. Modified grammatically with the word fervent. It was William Tyndale who put it down first. (laughs) Back in 1525, translating from the Greek into the English. And uh, he wrote this phrase, The prayer of a righteous man availeth much if it be fervent. That's the way first the people who were reading English said, Wow, many of them had never seen that in their life. And there it is before them. And so everybody who followed him, Matthew's Bible and Coverdale's Bible and the Geneva Bible... All the way up into the early part of the 1600s. That's the way they saw that phrase. If it be fervent, if it be fervent. Now, if somebody said that to you, what do you think automatically? Well, I guess it better be then, huh? It, it sounds like one of those qualifiers that the prayer is going to be effective if. If is a big word here. If it be fervent. Now, I don't know if the if is really the best thing to put in there. It is described by fervent, but I don't think it's set it up more or less as the condition for the answer. Because there are some people that the best they could do is muster out a whimper. And I think that's pretty effective too. But there is opportunity for the word fervent to describe our prayers. And this is what I want to do with you as we go through this word fervent because if you put all the translations out there, the English ones, you'd have words like continual prayer, the fervent prayer, the effectual prayer, the effective prayer, the insistent prayer, the earnest prayer, the heartfelt prayer, the powerful prayer avails much. A lot of options for us. Let's put it together though. The word The word, if I said it out to you, it's uh, enerjumine. You got that? We get our word energy from it. Right? Matter of fact, if you were spelling it, it's the first handful of letters. E-N-E-R and then G. We've got our word energy. Sounds like energy. Energy is something, some sort of power at work. And that's even the word energy in the Greek as we work with it, uh, is a compound word which is in work. In work. It's accomplishing something. It's doing something. To be at work is the word we use for "energeto," the Greek verb. To effectively work, to perform work. It's that which is working. So, literally, I could say it this way. The energizing prayer accomplishes much. Or, the working prayer accomplishes much. Now, where do you get a word fervent out of such a thing like that? Fervent's a good old word that we've been working with for years and years and years. It talks about being intense. Passionately intense. Vehement, ardent, fervid, fervent, fervid, sincere, feeling, profound, deep seated, deeply felt, emotional, animated, spirited. Much like our translations that use such words like that, fervent. You want the opposite? Apathetic. One word. That negates all the others. And it does, doesn't it? Apathetic. You ever heard of an apathetic prayer before? Would you like to listen to an apathetic prayer? I wonder how many times God listens to an apathetic prayer. How many times do we pray in a Memorized way. Even the person who you're praying with knows the exact words you're going to say. Sometimes they whisper it under their breath as you say it. Say, oh, I, I hope I'm not like that. How many times do we pray with our thoughts on other things? Sometimes when we pray, we have to know where the cat is. Because it's usually at a meal. And she is interested in what's on our plate. And so you kind of close your eyes, but you feel for the cat. Where is she? Or you keep your hands over your plate because you don't know where she's at. Sometimes we are distracted in prayer. Sometimes we're we're just doing it because we've been taught to do it that way. But we have inserted no heart. There's apathy. There's a, there's a prayer that doesn't consider it's worth their time to pray. It's quite a difference from the old archaic word for fervent, which meant this, hot, burning, or glowing. Now, I want to show you something, because this is where it came from. Way back in the Latin term, we called it boiling. When you watch the pot. And it actually did boil. It was fervent. In other words, it was full of heat and energy and activity and it was visible, wasn't it? It was boiling. And that's the word that you're looking at when you see the word fervent. That which is full of great warmth and intensity of spirit, feeling, or enthusiastic. That's an energized prayer. That's a working, fervent prayer. Way back in the 1600s, Thomas Manton, a Puritan pastor, tried to express some of these things in his commentary, and I'm going to read it to you in a minute. But he's taking this word fervent, and he's equating it to something that really does take us a touch by surprise, but understanding in the definition when they said, spirited, enthusiastic. They attach that to theological terms, and the words speak of spirit-led. Who are they talking about when they start inserting those words? It's a Holy Spirit thing in prayer. Now, understanding that, listen to what he said. This is 1600s, all right? The phrase properly signifieth a prayer wrought and excited. And so implieth both the efficacy and influence of the Holy, he uses this word ghost here, Holy Ghost, and the force and vehemency of an earnest spirit and affection. The word yields two notes. Note number one, a true prayer must be earnest, fervent in prayer. He says that's what he calls a true prayer. The picture goes back to a concept of lighting a sacrifice. When you take your offering to this place of sacrifice, and let's say you're an Old Testament uh, patriarch. Alright, just imagine that for a minute. Can you do it? You're an Old Testament patriarch. You're going to worship the Lord. So first you have to build your altar. So you go and you find enough rocks in order to build it all up just right. and You've got it set up the way it should. And then you, pick, you have your animal you're going to sacrifice. And you go to that animal and you slay that animal. And in many cases, the animal would be kind of heavy to pick up. Most of you don't pick up your bulls after they die, right? You cut them up you put them on the altar you arrange it there's wood there there's rock there you arrange your altar and everything and you say okay i'm ready for the sacrifice what's next you light it what difference does it make once you light it suddenly the the issue of a altar and the wood and the sacrifice suddenly become quite animated in the sense that the warmth comes, the heat comes, the flame, the burn, the smoke, the aroma. You know how that goes. And it slowly ascends to the sky. We speak of this even in scripture of the, the smoke ascending to heaven. And often God will speak of that as a pleasing aroma to him. Now, put it in this concept here, when a priest then goes into the temple or the tabernacle, and he goes up to the table of incense, and on that table, there's a bit of a basin or an altar, if you will, where he would put incense, like frankincense or something there, inside that, and he would light the offering. And it would go up in smoke inside the tabernacle or the temple and fill that room with the smoke and the aroma of the sacrifice because he lit the match. Right? When the priests went and filled their fire pans and they were brought in for, for different tasks, they would go to the altar to get the coals and put it on their offering and they'd put their incense on top of that. And there again, you've got the warmth and the heat and the flame and the smoke, and the aroma. That's something like this word fervent. Something like it in that our hearts and our thoughts are evident, and this is what Manton said, because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. Having or showing great warmth or intensity or spirit, feeling enthusiasm. You know what the word enthusiasm means? Is a great little word. It means under the influence of God. That's enthusiasm. Under the influence of God. We have studied here Romans, I mean, yeah, Romans 8 and Galatians 5. Both big chapters, and we took a long time to do it, on the Holy Spirit and our walk with Him and our relationship with Him. We were told to walk. By the Spirit. Galatians 5. That wasn't optional, was it? It It was something we learned a lot about. Because there is nothing a believer can do without dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We have to depend upon Him. Anything else is of the flesh. Put prayer in that picture. You ready? How often... Our prayers is manufactured by our strength and our wisdom and our words and our way, and we put a lot of ourselves in the process of praying and very little of dependence on the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about a few things here this morning, because sometimes we can manufacture intensity. We make it look like it's really intense. We can manufacture much like a cheerleader, trying to get the crowd to go. I don't know if that's easy. I've never tried it. But you're trying to get them excited. So you yell louder, you act more animated, so they will. I wonder how many times we speak louder because we think that's fervent. Or we speak longer. Because we think that's fervent. Or we speak larger words. Because we think that's fervent. All those things we can manufacture. But you cannot manufacture a prayer according to the Holy Spirit. That's His department. That's when you're under His influence. When you pray. Now, most of the time we talk about how to walk by the Spirit, we never talk about praying. But praying is a spiritual activity, is it not? I think so. And far too often we turn it into a man-made project without consideration for the Spirit at all. Here's a very interesting verse. It's in the book of Jude. You go over there, you're in James, you don't have far to go. Uh, To get to Jude, it's just before Revelation. One page, usually in your Bible, maybe two. But Jude, verse 20. Verse 20. I'll give you a second to scan through the verse yourself first. So that you understand and believe me when you hear what I'm going to say. You see Jude 20 there? He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up, on your most holy faith. Isn't that what James is talking about? Yes. Walking by faith. Building up your faith. Being stronger in faith. Yes, yes. And what's the second part? And praying in the Holy Spirit. Whoa. That's in there? You just saw it. That pretty much outlines James chapter (laughs) 5. Walking by faith? Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Manton goes on to say, it is no easy thing to pray and to work a lazy, dead heart into a necessary height of affection. The weights are always running downward, but they are wound up by force. He says in Psalm 25, 1, I lift up my heart to thee. When our affections are gotten up, it is hard to keep them up. (laughs) Like Moses' hands, they soon flag and wax faint. You remember the story? How would you like your whole battle scheme to be based on some guy sitting on a hill with his hands in the air? But that's what it was. As long as his hands were up, Israel was winning. When his hands got tired and came down, Israel was losing. What do you do? You get two guys. One holds up this hand. One holds up that hand. That's the story. Book of Numbers, I believe you'll find it. But this is what he said here. He's like Moses' hands. They soon flag and they wax faint. A bird cannot stay in the air without a continual flight and motion of the wings. Neither can we persist in prayer without constant work and labor. Our faith is so weak that we, can, we are hardly brought into God's presence. And our love is so small that we are hardly kept there. Affections flag and then our thoughts are scattered and weariness makes, us, makes way for wandering. First our hearts are gone and then our minds and then all that we need of much labor and diligence and all the acts of duty are drawn to us by a holy force. That's what we need. You see, because we're weak. And we go before the Lord in prayer. And who is it that helps us in our weakness? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. I'll give you two verses. Romans eight twenty-six and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for word. Does that sound like something fervent to you? And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That is an effective prayer when it matches God's will. How did that come about? How did it happen? How was it energized? How was it made to be enthusiastic? How did it become fervent? Or make it simple. It's your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not what you manufacture. It's what He does. It's what He does. I could give you a picture. Imagine, and it's going to use just a touch of your imagination. If I had a lamp with me right now, just an everyday lamp that you've got all over your house too. I've got them too. A lamp. Beautiful shade. Light bulb. Works. Switch. Operational. Nice looking vase. Cord coming out of the bottom. Boy, those annoying cords. What do you do with a cord? You plug it in. Why is it there? So that you can plug it in. What do you plug it into? Anything you want, right? No. It has to match the receptacle that has place for two little blades to go down inside of it. The cord is designed to fit the receptacle. When it is in the receptacle, it's the electric power. And I'm not an electrician, but I do know that something runs through those lines. And it goes up to that light bulb. And it makes it shine, and make it bright, and make it even warm. But it works, because it's been plugged in correctly. You see a picture suddenly? When we talk about fervent prayer, I think it's safe to say it this way. We're talking about having, number one, the right relationship with the Holy Spirit. That is, this is about a believer. He's talking to the brethren here. The brethren and their fervent prayers. The believer and his fervent prayer. The believer has, because the Holy Spirit indwells them, everything they need for prayer. You understand that? Everything you need for prayer is already within you because the Holy Spirit has moved in because you are saved. That means any believer in this room today cannot say, I can't pray like that. Because this is the Holy Spirit's work. And if you're saved, he's in you, right? Okay. So you have what is necessary. But what else goes with that? It's a dependence on him. It's a walk with him. Because there's one thing to have him indwell you. It's another thing to have him dominate you. We are told to walk by the Spirit. We are told to be Filled by the Spirit. There are verses all over the place that talks about where we actually are plugged in correctly. It doesn't do to have just one prong in the outlet. It has to be done the correct way. And you as a believer are called to depend upon the Holy Spirit. So am I. We are told to live that way. And I don't know how we're going to pray otherwise. I mean... If we're called to be fervent in our prayers, how are we going to do that if we're not attached to the one who energizes it? You want a working prayer. You want a fervent prayer. You want an accurate prayer. You want one that accomplishes God's will. Then you must depend upon the Holy Spirit. You must. That's the adjective we're looking at here. And it's very deep. It's far more than what we thought when we started. The word fervent. It's the intensity that the Spirit brings. Prayer is important. It has divine importance. It depends upon your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that is to have full expression in His dominance in your life. We must have Him within us. Nothing in James chapter 5 is going to work, folks, if you're not walking by the Spirit. You could say, be patient, be patient, be patient all day long, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and what's number four? Patience. Where do you get it? From Him. Where do you get a strengthened heart? That's His work. What keeps you from complaining? Your walk with Him. What helps you pray? He does. You see how that does? It just comes to all together here. We must have him number one within us. It's a prayer of a believer. It's a prayer of a believer. But secondly, our union with him is important. We do have a permanent position, but do we have a perpetual practice of walking with him? Far too often we who possess the Spirit live by our own strength, don't we? We live by our own wisdom. And it's not often that our practice matches our position. It's not often enough. So I ask this simple question. How often do our prayers match the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How often does it look like that? Can I suggest the reason for cold, lifeless, rote prayers might very well be a disconnect to the Spirit's influence? Could I suggest that the reason for a fervent, effectual prayer is due to a connection of dependence upon the Holy Spirit, living faith in action, Operating under God's influence, praying according to His will, set on His glory? What kind of prayer is that, and what might it accomplish? I've told you this before, but it's reality, and I'm going to convince you, I hope. You are a dependent on the Lord. You are a dependent on the Lord. We've, we've got to start to walk that way. Because I want our words to match our faith. I want our walk to match our faith. I want our prayers to match our faith. You believe in a big God, don't you? Pray like you believe it. That's fervent. Because living faith is not a partial faith. We must pray like we mean it. Pray like we're truly concerned about our walk with him. We have to pray his way. Dependent on him. I think it's a big study. And I've hardly even, I feel like I should try to explain that for two more hours. But I think I have to reach a point where I stop and say, Okay, now you've got to go think about this, don't you? you got to think about this, because we are called to do this, and we're told what it can do, and now it's a matter of, can I say, our will? A want is necessary here. A want to do it. Heavenly Father, there is so much here for us to learn in And sometimes, Lord, when we're trying to express something that's so big, it's hard to even put it into words. I like your word. I like the way you say it in such one word that it takes us 45 minutes to try to comprehend it. That's amazing. We thank you, Lord, that you have set this up to be amazing. To be so big in concept. To be uh, such a thing that drives us to depend upon you, for we cannot do it. This is not a prayer we can manufacture at all. But I pray, Lord, that we would be more conscientious of our prayers, more conscientious of the activity of prayer, and whether or not that is done in obedience and in dependence upon you. We have a lot to learn here And I pray as you're so kind to us and so merciful to us, so patient with us, that you'd be persistent as well and teach us this. That we might be doing what you call us to do and seeing things that bring us back to glorifying you all the more. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.